encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, as we look, finish up this chapter this morning by the grace of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23 this morning. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 23, we read, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, in which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind in the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages, from generation, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Well, gracious Father, we just thank you once again for the privilege to be in your house, for the honor it is to open your word and proclaim the truths therein. Help me today, Father, as I desire to minister to your people this morning. I pray that you would do what I cannot do, that you speak to the hearts of people. Help them to see their need, for the greatest need that everyone has is not a financial need. It is not a physical need. It is a spiritual need. And everyone is born into this world with that spiritual need to know you and to know you as life everlasting. And I pray that everyone in this room has a relationship with Jesus Christ, your son. And beyond that, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of that relationship so we may share the riches of the gospel with others before it is too late. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always interesting to me when someone asks me, what do you do for a living, <clears throat> how they respond. I don't know whether to duck or pucker. When I tell them I'm a preacher or a reverend <laughs> or a richter or a pastor or a bishop or an elder or an overseer, they're all the same things. They're all the same things, meaning a pastor or a shepherd. I don't know how they respond. It's always, it's always quite comical to me. Sometimes I think, you know, in jest that, you know, they're, they're looking for, some, for something like a, almost like in a deal where I'm the same thing as a used car salesman. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get something from them. But the goal of each pastor who's really, truly living for God is to help the person who they're ministering to. But the reality is that I am obviously as a title, a pastor, a minister, every one of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior are in the ministry. We're all ministers. Oh, yes, I might be the pastor, the minister of North Gainesville Baptist Church. But if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you are a minister too. And Paul had a ministry, a very important ministry, though he was in prison. 
Think about his handicap. He could not do, could not go, could not say all that he wanted to say. He didn't have the technology of the internet. He couldn't just message someone. He couldn't email someone. He couldn't, uh, couldn't text someone. He had to take a, a, a handwritten letter and transport it by uh, usually by horse or by, or by foot to, a, to another place. But through all that, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul, in, in prison in Rome, writes this letter to this church at Colossae, this little uh, disliked church, disliked land, because it was in, a, in the middle, as we talked about in our first sermon on this on this wonderful epistle, that it was kind of in the middle of two other cities, and these other cities got all the notoriety, got all the fame, got all the glory. But this little church in Colossae, it was small, but it was important to the Apostle Paul. And you know what? Though this church may not be the biggest church in Gainesville, it is important to God. And every one of us are, are, are people who God loves and God cares for, and we have the wonderful opportunity to minister to one another. So as we look at this, this book this morning, we're going to see Paul's message to the church, and we're going to see, secondly, Paul's validation of his own ministry, and third, we're going to examine the mystery of the ages, found starting in verse 26. Then we're going to be reminded, finally, of God's work in the past and in the future. So the question I want to answer through preaching this, this, this last few verses of this wonderful first chapter of the book of Colossians is how would Paul minister? How did he minister to this church? Well, sir, first of all, we see the message for the afflicted. The message for the afflicted. If you look again in verse 24, verse 24, now, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. How did Paul respond to the sufferings? How did Paul react to the difficulties? Though he was in Rome, riding in prison, he did not say, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Y'all pray for me. He didn't say, it's bad, it's sad, and it's going to get worse. If you just knew how things were here in Rome, you wouldn't, you couldn't quite understand it. He didn't come across as a, having a victim mentality. Oh, man, y'all owe me so much. I've done so much for you. No, 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 no. He didn't come, with that, come across that at all. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. What? That's almost amazing. That's almost a miracle. Then Paul the apostle would say, I'm not whining about my sufferings. I'm not grabbing about my sufferings. I'm not complaining about my sufferings. I'm not getting on Facebook and telling the whole world about my sufferings. I'm not giving a 45 testimony about my sufferings. I'm saying by the grace of God, yes, I'm suffering is true, but I rejoice in it. That is amazing. And you know what? You say, that's Apostle Paul, but God wants us to do the same. That's God's will for each one of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, not only us, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh, that dreaded word, patience. Oh, when you go through difficulty and problems and struggle and strife, it's because God is working in your life to produce something that you normally wouldn't do for yourself. 
called patience. How many of you prayed for patience and you regretted it? Paul said, I'm, God, God allows these sufferings. God allows these difficulties because of these sufferings and these problems. They bring patience. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, but rejoice in so much you are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. How do you respond when you're going through something? How do you react when things are hard? You know what Job did? Well, he lost his family, except for his wife, who said, curse God and die. What a wonderful woman she was. Though his body was covered with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And if you ever had one boil, you would think, man, my whole body covered with a boil. How difficult would it be? Though he had all those things about him, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Curse God and die. No, blessed be the name of the Lord. How shall we respond biblically to troubles in life? We shall respond with thank you, God, that you allow me to go through these things because I know in your sovereignty you have a reason and a purpose that's beyond my comprehension. But I know for sure one thing. You are good. And you only give good gifts to your children. You see, dear friend, in all these things, we must remember, we need to have a proper attitude. I'll say this as I've said it before. Attitude, more than aptitude, will determine your altitude. I'll say it one more time, a little bit slower. Attitude, more than aptitude, will determine your altitude. Dear friend, what type of attitude are you going through? How is your attitude through the difficulty? How, is, how are you responding to it? Oh, the flesh wants to complain. The flesh wants to groan and moan over the troubles and trials of this world. But Paul's in prison, and he did not say, Oh, y'all pray for me. It's so hard. It's so difficult. I'm in prison. He said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. And we see his affliction in the second half of that verse. And fill up that which behind of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. You say, right, preacher, I, I, I get the fact that we're going to suffer and God sometimes allows us to suffer for a reason or purpose. But why? Why do we have to suffer? Well, first, because his sufferings brought good to the church. His sufferings brought good to the church. By him being in prison, they got to see the role model of somebody who was living for Christ. You know what we need? We saw all type of role models on TV for sports and movies and all of these type of things. You know what we need? We, we need more role models for Christ. And you know how that's done? That's done practically in the church. That's done personally in people's lives when we go through difficulty, when we go through troubles and sorrows, and you can read a laundry list of the troubles and trials that Paul went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He was beaten to the point where he was left for dead, and I believe he went up to the third heaven and saw the Lord and was told to go back. He was beaten th three times, I think twice, 39 stripes. Two men took whips and beat him as hard as they could beat him across his back. He was shipwrecked, left for dead. He was abandoned. 
misrepresented, lied about. But in the midst of all of it, he maintained a great attitude because he realized his life was not his life. It was Christ's life. You see, our life that we have is not our own. The Bible says we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That's your attitude, which is God's. John Newton said it this way, the author of Amazing Grace. God appoints his minister to be sorely exercised, both from without and within, that they may sympathize with the flock and note in their hearts the deceitfulness of sin, the infirmities of the flesh, and the way in which the Lord supports and bears all them that trust in him. By Paul suffering, they got to see a wonderful example of someone who was suffering for the cause of Christ and was not doing it with a bad attitude. But by the grace of God, he was rejoicing in his suffering. One thing we know for sure that this phrase does not mean, which commentaries write so much about this phrase, which means to, to, to fill up that which is behind the affliction of Christ in my flesh for his body. It does not mean that through Paul's suffering that sometime, somehow that was used to atone the sins of mankind. That does not mean that at all. But I believe what it does mean, as we are afflicted, as we go through troubles and trials, we get to, first of all, identify with Christ. As Christ was ridiculed, as Christ was rejected, as Christ was laughed out, as he was beaten, as he was denied, we get to partake in part of his sufferings, some of his difficulties which he went through. And also, not only that, when we go through it, when we go through difficulty, it's as if he went through it himself. Remember on the road to, to Damascus, Paul the apostle uh, is, is on that road and he's going to wreak havoc upon the church. And the Bible says is as he's on that road, the, the, a bright light shone upon him and Jesus says some, some very interesting words to him. He, he, says, he says to him, uh, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now was... was was Saul persecuting Jesus himself? No, he wasn't. But who was he persecuting? He was persecuting the people of God. And Christ says, when you do it to one of those who are my children, you're really doing it unto me. You're really doing it to me. And Paul, and the Bible would go on, we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, for I will show him how great things he will, must suffer for mine name's sake. So when we go through suffering, it helps to give us an example to the world and to other believers of what, how we should respond in times of suffering. But it also helps us to identify with Christ and what he went through. When I was a student up there in the frozen tundra of North, at Northland Baptist Bible College, about an hour and a half above Green Bay, there was a young lady who was at college there with me. I was a sophomore. She was a freshman. She was from the same town that I was from, Taylor, South Carolina. Her pastor was a the, uh, a preacher, a wonderful pastor named Pastor John Vaughn. But one day, his daughter and his wife was in a horrible fire, and both of them were horribly burnt. They both survived by the grace of God. But the young girl, her name was Becky, she was, her face was scarred, she lost all her hair, her body was burnt, but she kept going for Christ. And she was a freshman there at Northland Baptist Bible College, and I was a sophomore. You know, I'm being from the South, sometimes complain just a little bit about the cold. 
I'm not used to wearing uh, thermals uh, in October, <laughs> being from South Carolina. I would complain and grumble about what time I had to get up and, you know, how cold it is outside. But then I would take a look at Becky. And I'd say, this woman here, wow, she, what she's going through for Christ. Her face is scarred. Her face is marred. She has no hair on her head. And yet she has a wonderful, gentle Christian spirit going through everything that I was going through for Christ. Oh, dear friend, when we go through trials and troubles, and we will take it from a good God who loves us and cares for us and wants what's best for us. May we be the example of what Christ would want us to be. May we rejoice in the sufferings that God allows us to go through. So we see the message for the afflicted, but the ministry of the apostle in verse 25, wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. Paul was driven to fulfill his ministry. He told the Ephesian elders, but none of these things moved me. Neither count on my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. And what was his goal? Not just to declare a little bit of part of the scripture. Not just to focus on one little, one little aspect or one little, one little item in the scripture. But to preach the whole counsel of God. And that is my charge as a minister and in any minister of the gospel to, to preach the, the entire word of God. I preach here in the New Testament here on Sunday morning. Tonight I'll be preaching in Exodus and Wednesday night by the grace of God. I'll be preaching the book of Ezra. I'm to preach all of it because all the word of God is for us all. And it helps us all and encourages us all. And he fulfilled that very to the end, very much to the very end. That's why he could say in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. He completed the task that God had given him to proclaim the gospel, to tell every man while he could of the good news of Jesus Christ as long as he could. We see his appointment, but secondly, his assignment to fulfill the word of God. Some people think, well, Unless I do everything all the time, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. No. No. You can't do everything all the time for every, everyone. My former coach, Coach Larry Ledbetter, said to me one time, he said, Marty, all you can do is all you can do. That's pretty profound. But it's true. Some people try to do everything and then plus some. And they wonder why they're so wore out all the time. They take their own troubles and trials that they have. Then they get everybody else's troubles and trials that they have. Then they get everybody else's troubles and trials. And they try to figure them all out and fix them all up. And then they get defeated and get discouraged and go to bed just like that every day. No, dear friend. The Bible says cast your burdens on the Lord. Don't carry the burdens of mama. Don't carry the burdens of kids. Don't carry the burdens of husband. Don't carry the burdens of wife. You can't carry the load, but God can. Let him carry the burden. Cast your burden. And that's a continual thing. It's just not once every once in a while. It's a continual motion. Do it every day as you get up. Oh, you know, dear Lord, the burden I have with this person. Whether it be a son or a daughter or a friend, cast your burden. I love it as I'm reading through the book of Job that Job daily got up and made a sacrifice for his children just in case they might sin. Now, dear friends, we're not doing any sacrificing in the morning, but you know what you could do? The sacrifice of taking your time to pray for your family. Get up every morning and say, Lord, once again, 
I'm bringing my family for you before you. I'm praying for my wife. I'm praying for Alathia in South Carolina. I'm praying for my son in Pensacola. I'm praying for my dad. I'm praying for my sister. I'm going through the list. Remember that list that we talked about? We're going to write down. How's that list coming? Have you written the list or are you still waiting on motivation to write the list? It's that prayer list that you need on a regular basis to bring these folks before you. You see, we have a ministry and one of the greatest ministries we have is prayer, praying for those who are deeply in need. But Jesus himself limited his ministry. First of all, he limit, limited his ministry to God's will. The Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 31, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek mine own, not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. See, practically, preacher, how do you do that? You get up in the morning, and as you pray over these folks who are on your prayer list, you include in that prayer, Lord, would you lead me and guide me today? Would you show me what I'm supposed to do? Would you give me wisdom so I know who I'm supposed to help, who I know I'm supposed to encourage, who, I'm, who I know I'm supposed to, to, to give guidance to? Would you show me? Would you lead me? You say, preacher, you mean to say if you ask God for that, you believe he's going to do it? Yes! Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Don't you believe a good heavenly father wants to show you what his will is for you more than what you want to know it? So follow his will. Ask him for it. Secondly, Jesus limited his ministry to God's timing. His timing. In John chapter 2 and verse 4, Jesus said in her, Woman, what I have to do with thee, mine hour is not yet come. Who is he talking to? His own mother. Remember that? The first miracle? His mom, Mary, warned him to turn the water into the wine. It was the beginning of his ministry. And he was saying, Mary, mother, I love you. And he was not being disrespectful at all to her by saying this. It was a word of endearment. But he was saying, it's not my time yet. I don't do things when I want to do it. I'm doing things according to his will in his timing. So not only say, Lord, show me what to do, show me what to say, but ask the Lord to show you when to do it. Timing is everything. You know, you could say something to somebody at some times, but sometimes it's best not to say it at all. Maybe wait till later on to say it. Timing is everything. You're saying time is not important? Well, I tell you what, cook that turkey for five hours instead of three and see how it comes out. Oh, yeah, timing is going to be very good come Thanksgiving. You want, you want to make sure everything's on time. Third, Jesus limited his ministry to God's objective. Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus' primary ministry was not to the Gentiles, not to us. His primary ministry was to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jewish people. He came to them to seek and to save that which was lost. He came upon, he came into his own, and his own received him not. Yes, they rejected him. That's why the gospel through Paul eventually went to the Gentiles. Fourth, Jesus limited his ministry to God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. He kept the political. He, he focused on the eternal, not the political, not the temporal. Oh, man, on a Sunday morning, it'd, it'd be easy to rant on the problems and the policies of this world. But, dear friend, things that are higher, things that are nobler, 
These have allured my sight. I'm not going to focus on politics. The word of God is so much more important. It's so much more, it's so much more profitable for us in our lives. Fifth, Jesus limited himself to God's people. He focused on those around him. When I was a young youth pastor, I went to Brother Tom Farrell, who used to be here, used to preach, used to preach here, preached here with the Calvary Quartet several years ago. Now he's in heaven. I asked him one time, I said, Brother Farrell, I got, I got all these folks in my youth group. Some were homeschooled, some were public schooled, some were Christian schooled, some came on the bus. I said, how, how, how am I supposed to know who to minister? He said, minister to those who are right there in front of you. Minister to them right in front of you. Who did Jesus primarily minister to? The 12. Oh, yes, there were other disciples. Some had rejected him. Some stayed with him as we read through the book of John. But he ministered to those who were there. Dinner for a friend ministered to those who were there. I want to minister tonight to those who come. Wednesday night, I'm going to minister to those who come. Thursday night Bible study, I'm going to minister to those who come. I can only minister to those who want more ministering to them. Ladies, you can cook the best meal you ever, you, you can be Betty Crocker yourself, herself. And you can fix the food and you can lay it off there pretty as a picture that you put on Facebook. And we all say, man, I wish I had more of that. But if they don't come and enjoy it, what's good, the cooking? Oh, about dark in South Carolina, I could hear my mind, though I couldn't hear with her voice. In my mind, I could hear mom saying, you better come eat. Because I'm only going to fix one plate, and if you don't get it, it's gone. Oh, dear friend, we can only minister to God's people who want to hear the word. Oh, thank God we can minister to everyone. He gives us opportunity to minister to everyone, but ultimately we get more ministry to those who really want it. We see the message for the afflicted, the ministry of the afflicted, but the mystery of the afflicted. In verse 26, first of all, it was hidden. Even the mystery with God had been, which had been hidden from the ages, from generations. What is he talking about? He said the things of the past in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, Moses wrote on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all, thing, all the words of his law. But then when you go to Psalm chapter 25, verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he sh will show him his covenant. In those days, the salvation was primarily to the Jews. But the Old Testament only show us, showed us a shadow. They saw a shadow of things to come. That's why we believe in progressive revelation. But you must know, as I said on, on Wednesday night, the Old Testament to fully grasp the new. In the Old Testament, there's 39 letters. In the New Testament, there's 27. That's why we put so much emphasis on the old, so we can fully grasp the new. So it was hidden, but not only that, it was heralded. He says, but now it's made manifest to his saints. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of his princes this world knew. For had they known it, they would not crucify the Lord of glory, but it but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the thing which God prepared to them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. 
For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teach, teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. What's he saying? He says we're not, we're not focusing on what the world and the worldly wisdom. Wisdom. We're not, we're not compared to what, we're not focusing on what has been revealed to us so much in the past as we're showing you what things God has sh shared with us from now to now. Revelation of the truth is progressive from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The patriarchs, the prophets, the priests, the kings, again, just saw a shadow of what was to come. Now God's revelation is fully complete and we need not prophets today. If anybody says to you he's a prophet, walk away. If anybody says to you, he was an apostle, he doesn't understand it, walk away. Dear friend, we have the word of God which is complete. It is finished. It is complete. This is what we need. 95% of all revelation we have today from, from, scripture, from, the, from God comes from the word of God. Focus on it and proclaim his word. This morning we see the message for the afflicted, the ministry of the apostle, the mystery of the ages, which is that which is past, which comes to pass now, and the manifestation of the Almighty. Look at verse 27 one more time. Chapter 1, verse 27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles. We read in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. The blindness in your part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, you've heard the dispensation or the economy or the administration of the grace of God, which is given to me you towards. That while by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read that you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by his spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and by the same body partakers of his promise, Christ by the gospel. Oh, the message of faith, the message of truth. Yes, we're to the Jews, primarily into the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, it's for all the world. Jesus, one of his last words is, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Who's the message for the gospel for? It's for the poor and downhearted. It's for the rich and high-minded. It's for anyone who will receive it. The good news, the gospel, which is the death of burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That good news is for every man and for all of us at all times. We see the redemption of the Gentiles with the revelation of his glory. All the mysteries that God has revealed in the New Testament was most profound. The most profound of all of them was Christ in you, Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. 
the church, of course, is described as the temple of God. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's why this body we have is important how we treat it, what we do with it, what we do for it. It's important because the Holy Spirit no longer abides in some house, no longer abounds in some, in some building. The Holy Spirit of God is in us. The moment you and I ask Jesus Christ to be a personal Savior, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the revealer of truth abides in us and helps us and guides us and comforts us. So what is the great goal of the Christian? If I could add a fifth point, I would say the ministry of us all to all the world. We, each one of us, have a ministry. Oh, in the Old Testament, their ministry primarily was to the Jews, to the Jewish people. Oh, yes, they allowed strangers to come in. Oh, like Ruth. Oh, like some others. But primarily, it was to their own people. But you and I, who represent the church because we've received Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, our ministry is first and foremost of the Lord to his people. And secondly, is to the world. May I ask you this morning, how well are you ministering? You say, preacher, <laughs> I don't know too much of the Bible, but dear friend, what you know, share what you know. You say, I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know if I'm educated enough. With what you have and what you know, share what you have and what you know. We have a ministry to the whole world. Take what God has given you to the degree that he's given you in the condition you are, in the place that you are, with a good attitude, instead of grumbling and complaining about the problems of this world and the political atmosphere that we find ourselves, point people not to politics. Point people to Jesus Christ. For the problems of this world, dear friend, will someday cease, but Christ and his glory will always remain. Be captivated by his love. Be enraptured by his grace. Be thankful for his mercy. And with that same spirit, tell people about Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's how we must live in this world that is dark. And I promise you, by the authority of the word of God, it will get darker. How will you live in such a world? By the morning, what's going on? downtown Gainesville or downtown Tallahassee or Washington, D.C., or you point people to the living God who liveth and abideth forever. Oh, dear friend, point people to the book. Point people to the book. You and I have a wonderful ministry. I heard an interesting illustration. Years ago, a woman in Africa became a Christian. Being filled with such gratitude of what God had done in her heart, she decided to do something for Christ. Oh, she was blind, you see, uneducated. But she asked the French-speaking missionary to point her to the verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, and underlined it in her Bible. Then she called the little, little young men that would go out through the tribe, and she would say, come in, I got something I want you to read. And she would read it to them. And she, she, would, she would explain to them, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And she would explain that verse over and over and over. And from that one woman came 25 missionaries. 25 missionaries. You see, while we grumble and complain and focus on everything else in the world, 
what, is, what matters most is the word of God. The most important thing that you can do in this life is not make money. The most important thing in life is not have more buildings and more lands and more stuff that you get from the stuff mart. And after you're tired, with it, tired of it, you go back and give it to Goodwill so my wife can go buy it. No, don't do that, friend. The most important thing you can do in the world is take the word of God, which matters, which will last forever, and put it in the hearts and lives of people who will last forever. Everything else a billion years from now will not matter. You say, preacher, don't I have to work? I have to beg. No, you got to work. But where you work, point them towards Jesus when you have the opportunity. And when you play, when you get the opportunity to play, point them towards Jesus Christ in your play. And when you relax, when you have opportunity to relax, point them towards Jesus Christ in your relaxation. Wherever you are and who you are, while you are, point people to this book because their lives will last forever. Only one, only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Oh, Father, thank you, God, for the day. Thank you for one more opportunity to minister to your people. Help each one of us this morning to realize that we're ministers too. Oh, may may not call to be a preacher, may not be called to do it behind a pulpit, but every one of us has an opportunity to minister. Oh, dear Christian, who will you minister to today? You say, minister today? Yeah, who can you text? Who can you encourage? Who can you call? Who can you go by and see? Who can you smile at? What waitress or waiter can you tip and give a track? What, how can you minister today? Every one of us listening to the sound of my voice can minister if we choose it. Will you choose it? If you're here today, you don't know Christ as your Savior. If you were to die today, you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven. The most important thing, friend, for you to know is Christ. He loves you. He loves you so much that he, that he died for your sins. You see, friend, here's the truth. Either you pay for your sins in eternity in a real place called hell, or you allow Jesus Christ, who've already died, who's already shed his blood, who's already rose again from the buried and buried and rose again from the grave, if you trust in him who's already died for your sin, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If this morning you'll recognize the fact that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, if you recognize the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sin, paying for your sin on the cross, and realizing how much he loved us, for God committed his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you'll simply repent of your sin, be willing to turn from your sin and ask Jesus Christ to save you, you will in a moment. In a second, you'll be saved. 